There can be no victory against chaos, for chaos is but the manifestation of the divine, and only madmen deny the will of the gods. One tentacle short of a spawn, this is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, my name is Nathan Stone and I will be your host today. This episode, we are going to share a couple of chaos stories, one from 6th edition and one from 3rd edition. We're also going to talk a little bit about the old world and what we can learn from Games Workshop's latest big release. Before that, let's jump into some news. The first thing I want to discuss is not Warhammer related, although it is podcast related. For the last two and a half weeks, I have been on a work term at a local podcast production company. It has been extraordinarily cool, and I have learned a ton. It was the type of business that I didn't really even know existed until very recently. And as the last part of my first year taking my radio television journalism course, I had to do a related four-week work term. And where I am in the radio specialization for my program, I decided to look around and I found this incredible company that is very relevant to my interest. So it's been really neat learning about the business side of podcasts. I've been tremendously lucky in that I've gotten to produce some podcasts. I am working very closely on two right now and assisting on a couple of others. It has kept me very, very busy. I thought school was busy, but uh, I did not know what busy was until this point. However, it has really taught me a lot in terms of production. I've learned some new editing tricks. It's all very, very cool, to be honest. I'm really looking forward to it. Although it's meant that I've had to neglect certain things that I just haven't had time for recently. So thanks in a huge part to GJ, my partner in crime, for keeping this podcast going with his wonderful solo episodes that I've been lucky enough to be able to sprinkle in to make up the shortfall for when I am just way too busy to record. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, GJ talks about the wonderful Idol of Gork campaign from 5th edition. That was one of those great boxed campaigns. And he does a great story in there. I always like stories. It's my favorite part of doing this podcast is telling stories, to be honest. And GJ's is wonderful. He's got a good goblin voice, don't you think? If you haven't listened to it, go back, listen to it, and tell GJ how much you like his goblin voice. Because I like it a lot, GJ. I think it's really good. Now, let's talk a little bit about what Games Workshop has done. And that is, they are in the process of releasing a brand new version of their previously Forge World-only special game, The Horus Heresy. Now, I'm certain 99% of our listenership knows all about this game, but if you don't, it is set 10,000 years before Warhammer 40,000, during the Horus Heresy, the defining seminal event in the Warhammer 40,000 universe, which is a fancy way of saying that they found a way to make Space Marines versus Space Marines the game. 
So the fact that this didn't take over Games Workshop entirely is a bit of a surprise, to be honest. All that aside, it is a really interesting game with a hugely dedicated fan base, very passionate, people who have spent even more money than your average Warhammer player, which is already too much, and they are getting a brand new edition of the game, and it's evolved over the years, because I think it started about 10 to 12 years ago. It's a long time ago now, but... The game was originally in kind of 6th edition Warhammer 40k and then moved to 7th edition or evolved towards 7th edition, but it never made that jump to the 8th edition era that 40k did. And now it's getting brand new rules that kind of keep it in that 7th edition format, which is really interesting. There was a lot of speculation that it could have gone towards the more modern style of Games Workshop game. Now, this is important for the old world for a couple reasons. I think there's some lessons that we can take from Horus Heresy and apply them to Warhammer the Old World. And I know they're going to be different games, obviously. I will be very upset if there is Space Marines in my old world. But I think some of the lessons and some of the philosophy behind this game should carry over. Now, one of the important things to take away here is that this has been a long time coming for Horse Heresy players. Since Alan Bly passed away, he was the lead designer for the Horse Heresy, things kind of stagnated, the releases really kind of dropped, and a lot of people were worried about the game continuing, if it would still be supported. And I don't think there was ever really... A chance of it going away because again it's space marines versus space marines this is all of games workshop's dreams come true but it really wasn't getting anything major a new book would come out now and again and there'd be a new contemptor dreadnought and some specialty terminators and a new space marine commander it was more on maintenance mode or life support than anything else and then Kind of out of nowhere, last fall, we got these teaser pictures that showed what would come to be the new starter set for Horus Heresy. And if you haven't seen the new starter set, it is immense. It is big. I think there's something like 50 Space Marines, a giant tank, a dreadnought. This is big stuff. And this is a scale of box we really haven't seen before as a starter product. I know... There was the specialty Indomitus box, which was huge. It was really, really big. This seems even bigger than that. And I shudder to think of the price point that this thing's going to go for. But again, there are lessons here I think we can take away. So turning our speculative gaze towards the old world, what does this mean? What can we take away from this and take to our little fantasy corner to play with until we get a game again too? Here are some things that I think are going to carry over between these releases. One of the things that you may have missed if you were just casually skimming was that big unit boxes are going to be a thing in the Horus Heresy. And this is, from a lore perspective, quite appropriate because Space Marines could be taken in big squads up to 20, and there's going to be 20-man Space Marine boxes. This is the first time I think we've seen this many Space Marines in a box since maybe Rogue Trader. Again, I don't know the price, and that's kind of irrelevant for our purposes, but 
what this means is that something that should have happened more in Warhammer Fantasy might make a comeback with Warhammer the Old World. Now, if you're a lifer like me, I'm sure you remember the eras of the unit boxes of Warhammer Fantasy. In Hero Hammer, there was an odd kind of time when you could get, it was usually about eight guys to a box. For me, it was about $16 Canadian. I have no idea what it would have been in other currencies. And sometimes those eight guys were all just eight soldiers. But sometimes it was for high elves, for example, four spearmen and four archers. And that wasn't uncommon either. And then for some bigger models like Bretonian Knights, you could buy them two to a box for $16. Chaos Warriors, I believe, came five or six to a box. But the Hero Hammer era needed a lot less miniatures. So that was never a problem. These were very simple monopose models. They are lovely. I think they've got so much soul, those models. But that that era was kind of fun. And, and you would expand your unit with either metal blisters or more boxes and then you would always buy the metal command miniatures it was very nice it was very wholesome it was a wholesome era and as we moved on we got into the multi-part plastic set of late fifth early sixth now these were interesting because they were usually units of anywhere from 12 to 16 models roughly and they were very, very poseable. Lots of fun. Probably my favorite era of kits, if I'm being honest. There's just so much you could do with them. They came with all sorts of fun little bits and bobs. And these expanded the unit sizes further. And then once we got into 6th edition proper, you started to see some of the big bulky unit sizes. Those 16s, those 20s. But then something went wrong. <laughs> Now, this is only for some units. Some units, like, for example, goblins, stayed in big bulks of 20. But other things started to kind of go down in, in quantity, or at least when they moved from metal to plastic, you didn't get any more of them necessarily. Something like witch elves, right? Where you had, I think, 10 metal witches, and then we got 10 plastic witches, and somehow those plastic witches were much more expensive than the metal ones. But one of the issues that plagued fantasy in its later days was the fact that it cost you so much to put together units because so many of the units you wanted only came in sets of 10 and you needed 30 or 40, sometimes more than that. And if Games Workshop is willing to go back and put proper units in boxes, it's going to make Warhammer the Old World much more friendly to collect. And obviously these boxes sets are going to be more expensive because, well, there's more models in them and it's modern day games workshop, but it's a lot more palatable, even if you're paying more for a box to only have to buy a single box to, to make one purchase and say, oh, hey, I've got a unit. This is all of the models that I need. If Games Workshop wants us to play big battle Warhammer Fantasy. Warhammer Fantasy, kind of like it was in 8th edition, where you have just a ton of models on the battlefield, they're going to need to start packaging 40 goblins together. And 20 is going to have to be the minimum for pretty much everything else. But the fact that they're willing to go 20 Space Marines, for both lore reasons and money reasons, gives me some hope that we might see proper unit sizes in the new Warhammer. 
The other thing that caught my attention was the upgrade boxes. These are kind of neat. Again, it's going to depend on how much they want to charge for them, but I really like the idea of being able to get just a ton of heavy weapons bits, which is what these things promise. I think each of them has like 40 arms in it, and it's 10 of each heavy weapon or special weapons, so plasma guns, flamers, heavy bolters, that kind of stuff. Where this could be really good in Warhammer Fantasy is for upgrade boxes for your Imperial claimants. I still think, and I might be totally wrong on this, but I still think that the Time of Three Emperors is going to be a big focus for this game. I think it's really, really going to steal a lot of the spotlight. And I would still be shocked if we didn't get kind of an Empire versus Empire box at some point. Whether or not that's the starter box, I can't say. But I do think we'll get there. I really don't think there was a point in setting this game where and when they set it if they weren't going to focus on the time of three emperors. And they should. It's a really cool timeline for the Empire, for the old world. A lot of crazy stuff going on we've covered on the show before. So picture this. You're going into Games Workshop in 2025, 2026, 2177, whenever this game comes out. And you go in there and you get a block of 30 spearmen in a single box. And next to it on the shelf is a way to convert these rather generic Empire spearmen into spearmen from Middenheim or Altdorf or Talibheim. And see, you kind of get this really neat setup where this Empire faction suddenly becomes a bunch of factions because you've got these upgrade boxes. And maybe in the Middenheim pack, you can give them all arms with uh, great hammers or something, right? And that's a, a specialty unit of the era. I think there's a lot of ways you can do this by utilizing the same philosophy you're utilizing from the Horus Heresy now. And the last thing I kind of want to touch on is I've been very positive so far today, guys. I, you're going to have to give me a break here because I'm not usually this positive. And so I'm, I'm going to be negative here, and that's going to be the massive scale creep. And we knew this was coming. There was no way this wasn't coming. The writing's been on the wall for ages and ages. Age of Sigmar is ginormous. The Horus Heresy box showed me that Games Workshop... Well, I guess it didn't show me something, because if you're going to get shown something, it shouldn't really be something that you already knew. But what it illustrated was that Games Workshop does not care one iota for scale and we've known this we've known this for years you can look at the growth curve on space marines if you ever wanted a perfect picture of what scale creep looks like and yeah i know a lot of people tend to like the bigger models i don't so much which is i guess why i don't connect well with new 40k but Horus Heresy has great plastics. They had the Plastic Mark IV Space Marines, the Plastic Mark III Space Marines, but now they're releasing the Plastic Mark VI Space Marines. Those are my favorite Space Marines, by the way. I love the Beaky Space Marines because, again, it's a throwback to Rogue Trader, and if it's old, I generally like it. The problem is that these new Beaky Space Marines seem to be, and I say seem to be because I haven't held one, but I have seen the pictures, I've seen them compared to the size of the Terminators that come in the box as well, in the new box. And they are big. They are like Primaris big, as far as I can tell. 
And that's unfortunate because they're going to look really weird in your already existent Horus Heresy armies. I mean, they kind of look weird in the starter box because they make the Terminators that they're beside, and those are the same Terminators that came out in Betrayal at Kalth, I want to say. They make them look quite small. So whatever we get for miniatures for Warhammer the Old World, fitting them in your existing armies, which I know a lot of us want to do, I think it's going to be a real challenge. I really do. I don't think there's going to be a lot of similarities in scale. I think you're going to have orcs that look huge next to your original orcs, which is, I guess, fine if you want to use them as biggins. I guess orcs, it kind of works better than most other places, but... Do you really want Empire Spearmen that are like a head taller than your existing halberdiers? It just bugs me. I, I, It is unfortunate. Though, at this point, with the scale that this game is looking to have, and we still really don't know what that scale is, and I mean that in terms of number of factions, who's making the cut, who's not making the cut. Is everybody making the cut? Because you're going to have way too many factions then. I want to know how many of the old molds they're looking to reuse because a lot of those molds are still in use in Age of Sigmar or something like Tomb Kings where they're not in use anymore but a lot of those molds you're still going to have on hand. Do you just recycle those, right? Do we get a re-release of all the surviving 8th edition Warhammer Fantasy molds on top of these new molds and what does that do to scale does that make it so half of my high elves are in heroic 28 millimeter and then half of them are in like a 32 or god only knows what the scale is at this point maybe 34 i don't know it all it's always growing but i i think it should be something that we keep an eye on as a community because i i this is a miniatures game. It should be miniatures, and miniatures should be small. That is, that is always my take on it. I know people are out there playing games with 54 millimeter miniatures. You absolute mad lads that you are. But for me, the smaller the better, honestly. I really should have just played Epic and Warmaster. I think I would have been a much happier individual. Now that I've thoroughly gone off track with this, let's move on. But I am really interested in what the future is going to bring here, and I do think that the Horus Heresy has lessons for us in what we might come to see with Warhammer the Old World, if we ever see Warhammer the Old World. All right, let's get to today's stories. First up, we are traveling to 3rd edition Realm of Chaos, The Lost and the Damned. And I promise this time I'm not making any stupid goblins or chaos champions, so don't worry, you don't have to tune out. I, di I can't go back to that well too many times, otherwise I'll have no listeners. Instead today, this is the story of a great unclean one. There were times when the weight of millennia weighed heavily on Ikbak, Gatrog Nurgle. Not even the contemplation of all the lovely pestilences he had spread could cheer him up. The crop of bright new purple pustules that grew like grapes on his chest gave him not a flicker of pride, and the capering of his demonic minions seemed tawdry and tedious. He looked out across the cavernous interior of his great wagon, and it brought him no joy. The symphony of flatulence being performed by his followers faded under his empty, angry gaze, till only a solitary beastman, too stupid to stop, twanged his gautier. Ickback loomed up from his cart, 
feeling his huge bulk shake his rickety throne. He glared down on his silent followers, unable to derive any pleasure from their terror anymore. He let out a long groan. It was all so unbearably tedious. I'm bored, he said, letting eons of ennui show in his voice. Nurgle is bored. Two thousand two hundred and twenty-two, muttered Fabian, most conscientious of his plague-bearers. Nurgle is bored, roared Manthrax the Minotaur, swatting at a Nurgling who, who came too close. Nurgle is bored. The muttered undercurrent passed round the interior of the wagon. A few of the wiser champions were beginning to back off towards the edge of the room. A few Nurglings broke out of Ichbach's exposed innards and swam like tadpoles in the pus that surrounded them. Ichbach gently raised one and placed it on the arm of his throne. He tickled its stomach gently so that it giggled. The great unclean one surveyed his followers' blank, uncomprehending faces. None of them showed the slightest glimmer of understanding. Ichbach had spent all the time since the beginning of the world creating, spreading, and observing new diseases. Had he not invented the Crimson Death, which covered its victims in great blisters while they writhed in fever, and the loathsome Gut Rot, whose sufferers' bellies swelled until they burst, and many others. Once he had been proud of his creations, taking as much pleasure in them as any other artist. Now they seemed shallow and meaningless. Was he really going to spend the rest of eternity engaging in such petty activity? He had heard that his great rival, Zarek Redclaw Nurgle, had perfected a new form of food poisoning that infected fresh crops with tiny nurglings. It was so depressing. The door burst open and his driver, Kurt, burst in, a smile on what was left of his leprously eroded lips. A settlement, great Nurgle, he yelled. The noise hurt Ichbok's ears. He gestured for the coachman to speak more quietly. He tried to work up some enthusiasm for the task at hand. He gave a phlegmy sigh. What kind of settlement? He asked wearily. Halflings are loathsome one. His followers waited with bated breath for his response. Halflings, he thought. Feeling a slight glimmer of interest almost in spite of himself. A part of him had been enjoying wallowing in melancholia. Then inspiration struck him. Perhaps he should treat the runs to the joys of depression. Yes, that was it. He would do it. He looked down on his children and smiled. They tittered in relief. A lesson for you, my pretties, he said. No matter how we feel, we must always think of our public. The show must go on. He brought his fist down hard on the nurgling. It burst with an emphatic squelch. That is a fun little vignette, one of many great ones through the third edition Realm of Chaos books, one that I haven't had a real cause to put in an episode yet, and since this is kind of just a weird variety episode, I thought I would throw it in. I do hope you like that one. Nurgle always provides a good time. Our next story is The Return of the Dolgans. This is you'll find in the 6th edition Hordes of Chaos book. This is more serious business chaos, but it's still a fun story. This year, the pickings had been rich, and the tribe moved slowly, burdened with wagons and a long line of chained captive. Gherkin drew aside from the column and watched as this horde moved steadily past him. 
The Dolgan riders were weighed down with booty, and their horses plodded onwards under the great strain of saddlebags that bulged visibly with gold. Gherkin recalled how fiercely the Kivazovites had fought. So many Dolgans had fallen to their missile fire from their cursed armored war wagons, bristling with small cannons and packed with warriors. He smiled inwardly, remembering how they had been destroyed with fire. Now hundreds of Kislevite captives marched slowly past, backs bent under the weight of chains and scarred by the whips of the slave drivers, men, women, and children alike. For many days, Gherkin led the tribe eastward at a pace that was ponderous for the horsemen as it was grueling for their captives, until at last the highlands of Zorn Uzkul began to give way to the hill country beyond. Yet even this was a barren land of rock and sparse dry grass, with little nourishment even for the tough little Kurgan ponies. The Dolgans had traveled these paths many times before, and knew where to find water and where to hunt the scrawny wild goats that would sustain them until they reached the low country. Many prisoners stumbled on the march, and their corpses were dragged along by the unrelenting pace of the column before a rider leapt from his horse to cut the mangled body free of its chains. Amongst the Dolgans, too, there were deaths as warriors succumbed to wounds suffered at the hands of their foes or each other. For the Dolgans were proud warriors, quick to take offense, and faster still to take arms to settle their differences. After many weeks, the tribe reached the head of a broad valley that Gherkin knew well, a valley from the sides of which ran innumerable small streams that converged into a single fast-flowing water, stretching eastward and becoming a broad, dark river. From the valley top, the distant river could be seen twisting in the sun, and for many leagues beside its banks, the land shone with succulent green grass. This was the pasture of the Dolgans, a land of respite that would replenish the tribe's stores and fatten their horses before it was time to move on to winter grounds further south. Before they reached those pastures, though, there was a sacred duty to perform. Gherkin sensed the growing excitement among his people, as the moon grew dark and the appointed time drew ever closer. If the prisoners guessed anything of what lay ahead, they did not show it, but huddled in their chains in filth, mute and vacant like cattle. As they rode eastward, the Dolgan's destination slowly rose from the plain below, a huge conical hill that lay in the bend of the river. It was a hill of perfect regularity that spoke of human artifice rather than the work of nature. Surrounding this great mound were many lesser mounds, much smaller and round-topped, filling all the land encompassed by the curve of the river, a curve so long as to almost form a circle before turning at the last moment to resume its eastward course. On the dawn of the second day after leaving the valley, Gherkin saw dark smoke above the mound, a dark streak that rose vertically into the air before dispersing high above into an even, gray pal. At the sight of this, the warriors cheered and hailed the gods with great shouts so that the prisoners cowered in their uncertain terror. Gherkin smiled in his grim, inscrutable fashion, only too aware of the dangers and rewards that the coming ceremony would bring, where a long night of reckoning would be made between the tribe and the gods. Sacrifices would be hurled upon the pyre that burned atop the great mound. Hundreds of souls would be offered, drawing the gods to earth to witness the deeds of the Dolgan and to make their judgment. In the flames the great god would come, and young warriors would be chosen to be marked with greatness, with iron brands heated in the fire of sacrifice. Old warriors would receive their reward too. Those who drank the blood from skulls bound with gold and whose souls already walked at the heels of the gods 
in the brutal warrior paradise of chaos. Most important of all would come the affirmation of the chieftain, where Gherkin would face any who dared contest his leadership of the Dolgans under the watchful eye of the gods. Reward or damnation was a game which Gherkin had played out nearly two score times already. The drumbeat ceased abruptly, so that the crackle of fire and snap of splintering bones seemed suddenly and unexpectedly to fill the silence. All eyes were upon Gherkin, for none dared to look upon the shifting, glittering shapes that rose and shimmered in the flames. I, Gherkin, name the Dolgans as my people, in the name of Sinch, changer of ways. He spoke, drawing himself to his full height, towering above the tallest warrior by two yards, for over the years the gods had been kind to him after their fashion. His eyes, which were as numerous and bright as the stars, swiveled upon their myriad stalks, but saw little sign of a challenger. He raised his arms, long and multiply segmented, into the air, claws clicking and long, whiskery tendrils twitching as he spoke. And suddenly the flames burned with fierce and unholy joy, and a shape formed of pure fire, a shape reminiscent of Gherkin himself in some strange inhuman way. Words formed in the flames, and at that sound, the Dolgans cried in pain and covered their ears, for the judgment of Zinch was ever agony to the ears. Child of chaos, who art ever beloved of the fire, thy time on earth is done. At these words, Gherkin approached the flames, his segmented body glowing red before the gaping fire, his legs clawing uncertainly as if compelled by a will that was not his own. With a scream and a sudden hiss of vapor, he was gone, consumed by his god, whose image amongst the flames grew, if anything, to resemble the fallen leader even more closely. A strong, salty smell drifted over the dumbfounded Dolgans. The flames spoke out once more. Gherkin is with us now, and sustains us. Now it is the time for the trial by combat, for Zinch decrees that there will be a new chieftain, amongst the Dolgans, and he shall be great in the eyes of chaos, and the West will tremble before his name. It is written in the flame. I really like that story. The Chaos Champion, Gherkin, as he is described, sounds something like the champions that I have made in our Build a Champion episodes, all eye stalks and claws and weird legs, probably backwards segmented all sorts of things always get legs but that is about going to do it for this one i hope you've enjoyed this episode hopefully we'll be getting back to some longer episodes soon we shall see in the meantime until next time have a great week thanks for listening to the war games orchard if you enjoy the show why not join us on patreon there you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation it's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The Wargames Orchard, or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. <laughs>